Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Simple, the podcast. It's all about taking the complexity out of real estate investing so that you can take action today. I'm your host, Anthony Vecino of Invictus Capital, joined as always by Dan, podcast man, Dan. That's me, as of today <laughs> and ending today. That was the worst nickname I've ever... Of the 220-ish episodes of nicknames, that was the worst. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sure there's been worse. Go back. Uh, one of the listeners, if you're listening to this and you have a strong opinion on what has been the worst nickname Dan's ever been given, uh, go leave a review as always and let us know in the comments because that it brings sunshine to our soul. I'd like to know what the most offensive one was actually. I like, have never was... offended a human ever oh, in my life. Please. Nope. All right. It's not. It's not possible. Um, Dan, Sweet. this is your. We're gonna. We're we're about to record three episodes today this <sighs> afternoon, and you've already recorded one this this earlier. Yeah. How are you gonna? How are you gonna bring the fire for so much? I already casted all my pods. I don't know. I got nothing else. My tank's empty, so he's running on, on empty, people. I mean, all right, so we're gonna go deep into the well on this one, then. Yes. Uh, today it's the, the 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 book review episode where we're gonna deep dive into a book that we have found particularly valuable, so that you don't have to. It's a book that we really like, and so you're welcome. Instead of spending the next three to four hours reading this book, we're going to break it down, give you 10 takeaways, and then as always, I mentioned this, um, if you want the sophisticated investor notes, Mm. which are the beautiful infographic style um, cliff notes of each book review that we do, then shoot me an email, anthony at invictusmultifamily.com. And say, I want those tasty, tasty, sophisticated investor notes. And I'll send you the, the link to the folder. I think at this point, there's probably like eight or nine in there. Uh, and that list is just going to continue growing. Have as you done that many already? We've done, we've done a lot of book reviews at this point. So I was feeling like we're on like number five. Nope. Way past go number five. Us. Yeah. Look way us go. past it. So if you want those, shoot me an email. We'll get that over to you. But today, we're going to talk about a book that's... <laughs> We got to keep stop doing this to ourselves where we pick a book where the title of the book is pretty much a perfect summation of the book itself. And you probably mm-hmm. don't have to read it based off of if you just understand the, the title. Yeah. So we really have our we work. We did it again, though. <laughs> we have yeah. our work cut out for us trying to make a podcast out of this. Yeah. This is a good one, though. What is so, it? What are we talking about? Who, not how. Was it Dan Sullivan? Is that who wrote this? Yeah, it's Dan, Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. Yes. Benjamin Hardy. I got a story about Ben. I'll tell you in a bit. <laughs> we'll get there. It actually ties directly into this Who Not How, so it's very interesting. Good. Um, so Dan Sullivan, if you guys are not familiar, he's kind of a coaching business guru. Uh, I think his program is called Strategic Coach. So um, He's very well-known, a lot of content, brilliant guy. Benjamin Hardy, you probably maybe are less familiar with. He is a, 
Um, I think he has a PhD and I know him from way back in the day when I wrote on medium. So I used to write for medium a lot and he used to write for medium a lot and we were coming up together, cutting our teeth on the, the word Smith grind. <laughs> and, um, he hit it big when he decided that he was going to go collaborate with Dan Sullivan on this project. He says, Dan, you had this great idea. He said something at this like uh, meetup or this event that Benjamin was listening and he's like, um, Dan effectively said who not how and Ben was like that is so good we should write a book on that and Dan's like I don't have time to write a book but you can write the book so that's what he did they collaborated Benjamin did all the work wrote the book and now who not how so it's like the perfect encapsulation of what this concept is about but mm-hmm. why don't you break it down because I, I don't think I ex- actually explained the concept you didn't and that's what these episodes are all about we take a book that's very self-explanatory we had a bunch of fluff Stretch out for maybe 10 minutes, yep. and that's why you need the notes. And then try and simplify it again. Yeah, if you get those sophisticated investor notes, we get all the fluff back out, just give you the good stuff. But let's so, so we first take the we take the fluid, we put the we fluff dis, in, we dilute it, yeah. and then we distill it. Yeah, it's yeah, completely You're welcome, everybody. Unnecessary processes. That's what we do best. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about first off what this book is all about. So, um one of the things people ask me a lot is like, have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I'm always like, yeah. And that was kind of cringe because it's very cliche, but I did have one takeaway from that book, which was asking yourself, instead of saying how, or what it was, instead of saying, how can I do this? Or right, instead of saying like, you can't do this, yeah, ask yourself, how something, can I do this? Ask yourself how you can do something. And that was like probably one of the only takeaways I took from that book, honestly, I thought that was a pretty good little <laughs> mental lens to, uh, or mental model to incorporate into uh, the way I approach things. And this is actually really similar. It's kind of reframing the way you approach a potential problem. And so the book title is Who Not How. And what they're really trying to get across with this title is that you need to focus on who can help you do the things that you are trying to do, not how you can do all the things yourself. Um, because any entrepreneur or business owner knows that if you're the one doing all the things, you are very limited. And so this book is trying to reframe how you approach pretty much everything through the lens of thinking about who can I help or who can help me do this thing as opposed to how can I get this thing done on myself by myself. Yep. Well, it was a good encapsulation. Yeah. Right, so so now, I think we're done. Yeah. Um, we're, I think we're good here. Okay. So right. let's get, let's dive right into it. And, and, and this is at its core, this book is all about, okay, and whenever you encounter a problem, don't ask, how can I do this? Ask yourself, who do I know that can help facilitate this? Who do I know that I could partner with, I could collaborate with? So that's the framework. And if you don't listen past this point, then you know, thanks for being here. We love you. Yeah, um, we get it. But uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to dive in and give up some, give, I'll give my five takeaways, you give your five takeaways, and they all kind of revolve around this concept. Mm-hmm. But there's some there's some nuances to it to that, that I actually find a but kind of compelling and some things that I even need to be reminded of. So um, you go first. Sure. I'll go first. So number one is how, when you ask the question, how can I do this? How limits you to your own knowledge and capabilities? And this is really simple. It's really straightforward, but it's true. Like when you sit down and say, how could I do this thing? You're really reliant on your knowledge, your capabilities and your capacity to exert um, energy over time. And time is finite, which is going to get into one of my other takeaways. And so you need to be really intentional about how you leverage it. And the best way to leverage it, if you don't already have the skills, the the knowledge, the capabilities to do a thing, is to fast track and go find somebody who does have that thing, create a mutually beneficial relationship where you can lean on one another, and then you will go so much faster as a result. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that one's so important. That leads into one of my takeaways. I had it marked down... um, 
as number five on my list, but I'm going to jump to make it number one here uh, just because it's applicable to the last thing that you said there um, that you need to make this a mutually beneficial process. So when Mm -hmm. you are thinking to yourself, who can help me accomplish this big, hairy, audacious goal? Um, It's not about finding out who you can just try to extract resources from to benefit you. You need to make that a a mutually beneficial relationship so that there's a value proposition for that other person as well. Because you don't want just any who, you want a rock star. You want the best who. And if you want that rock star person, you've got to have a value proposition. And so this could be um, in the sense of finding a partner or a mentor or an employee. I mean, Mentor one's usually kind of easier because you can kind of hire those types of people, typically if you want like a coach or something. But when you're looking at like an employment type situation, like you've got to incentivize this who to come in and work for you. And that could be providing a career trajectory that could be providing some kind of ownership ish type compensation, like a profit sharing or even kind of an equity type of proposition. But you've got to figure out what is this who want? How can I give it to them so that it works both ways? It's a two way street, basically. It's funny. So on my number five, which ties into your number five, um, mine is avoid the wrong who's Mm. in your, and and it's, it's just as, as important as it is to find the right who you got to avoid the wrong who, because, um, you have to find the who's who of who's. Well, yeah. Think about that. Dr. Seuss, what the who's who of who's, which effectively means you need to go out there and find the best who possible for the job that you're doing. It's hard. Yeah, and not any who will do, and all and some who's are. <laughs> Sorry, this sounds like Dr. Seuss now. I okay. Can't, you know. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was reading this book, actually. I was like, there's a whole lot of who references here. Um, but it's, it's just as important to avoid the wrong who, because I think initially when you think about who can help you do a thing in your network, um, you might be tempted to go with the easiest option, like the, 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 the path of least resistance, not necessarily the best path. Or the like, first guy to show up. The first so person desperate. to show up, yeah. Like, oh, I know I, I've done work with this person before. It's easy. I can do this with them again. But it won't necessarily be the right who. So you got to be very intentional finding the who's who of who. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like in real estate where you're better off having a unit stay vacant until a really well-qualified potential resident comes in as opposed to just cramming the first applicant who's chomping at the bit, offering you a pile of cash, just let them in. No background check. Uh, you're better off <laughs> having make a vacant this, unit. To make this uh, pertinent to real estate investing, if you ever you get a tenant who's, uh, who's offering you 12 months cash up yeah. front, no, uh, just say no, say no, <laughs> do not do it. Um, it's funny how many, uh, new, like uh, students that I coach that ask that question, like, Hey, this person, they're offering th- six months rent and cash. Should I take that? Like, is that a bad thing? Like, that's yeah. a horrible thing. You I mean, it run. sounds great on your first property. And when you're doing everything for the first time, you're like, Oh, this is amazing. Anyways. Nope. Um, back to the topic at hand, who, not how, uh, my next takeaway is, uh, Michael Jordan. So there's a, there was there was a story in the book about uh, Michael Jordan and his uh, stint with the Bulls. And normally I'm not a big sports guy, but I did watch The Last Dance. So this one kind of um, made sense to me. I actually knew what they were talking about. I knew the names were switched, ah, but I know this game. Yeah, I've seen this. It's with the with the ball and the hoop. So. Yep, yep. Um, anyways, so basically the point of the story about Jordan in this book was to kind of paint the picture and give you some context for how important this is, because, um, I don't know when the term goat started greatest of all time or who the first one was. I started using it, uh, in about 1989 and I think it didn't really catch on in the culture until 92. So, you know, I was saying it well before I I was like, were you talking about Jordan? I was the first hipster. That's all I'm saying. Well, I don't know if Jordan <laughs> was the first goat, but I feel like he's the one that I hear referred to as the goat. 
earliest. So maybe he was the first goat. The point is, he's the goat, quote unquote, in that space. And even he needed. What's goat stand for? Greatest of all time. Okay. What do you think it stood for? No, I'm just I'm asking for the audience who might uh, be like, "What the goat? Why is my, why why I is this? Like why is Daniel world, Kruger calling Michael Jordan a goat?" I feel like the whole world knew a goat was before I did because it's usually with athletes, isn't it? That's true. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, so he's greatest of all time. Just to make it simple, and he needed multiple hoops. Um, he came onto the team, and they didn't actually have success for multiple years until they filled the rest of those who seats for him. He came in, he was a rock star, but he didn't have you know wingman or anyone really to. To, to, to kind of fill in his gaps and play along with. And then Jackson, the coach, was, you know, that, was, that him plus Pippen plus Jordan, that's where things got really, really productive because you had all these other rock stars that complemented each other, worked together as a team. And so the takeaway there for me is, I mean, if the greatest of all time needs multiple people, multiple who's, then how many do I need? Not just one or two. I probably need a, an army of people to help me get to where I'm trying to go. So for context... If the greatest of all time needs multiple people to really see the success that uh, he was capable of, then everybody needs multiple people to help him out in some way, shape, or form. That Jordan. Mm. He's the goot. The goot. The goot. That's how we say it in Minnesota. He's the goot. The goot. On the boat. <laughs> On the boot. All right. Uh, yeah, Mikey. I love Mikey J. He's my boy. It's not uh, what anyone calls him. That's what I call him. Because uh, him and I go way, way, way back. Back when I was rocking my 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 starters jacket, my Chicago Bulls starters jacket in the eighth grade. You're, if you're listening to this and you rocked a, a starters jacket, if you were in the '90s, I wasn't. Yeah. So in '95, I had a Chicago Bulls starter jacket and a Dallas Cowboys starter jacket. You, so that kind of tells you if you followed hmm. sports in the '90s, uh, what kind of fan I was. I not I liked winners. <laughs> I was attracted to winners. So, uh, bandwagon fan, right? I was a bandwagon. Hey, I get yep. it. Why would um, you want to? We all were in the 90s. Don't act like you weren't. Who was rooting for the Buffalo Bills? Nobody. Anyways, okay. So, my number four, which doesn't make sense why I'm jumping to number four when it's really my number three, but I, that's how Let's I get it written down numbers. here. Is, uh, and this one's actually funny because Michael Jordan was very competitive and he's really a jerk in a lot of ways on his team, like ultra competitive, almost sociopathic about it. Um, so this one's going to be kind of funny coming off the back end of the Mikey J is stop competing and start collaborating. Now, Michael J, <laughs> he did a little bit of that. He was a good, yeah, he was good. Like he was, he was a good teammate or like facilitator. He, he was good. Um, but I think about this one a lot in terms of real estate and in terms of entrepreneurship because, and you have a, I think an intimate relationship with this one where you're, uh, in the early days, you had the, I'm a mentality, I'm going to do this thing because you kind of viewed collaboration or partnership as being like uh, a negative thing. And in real estate, my experience has been that instead of looking at the other people across the table from you as being the adversary or the competition or people who are going to buy this thing out from underneath of you and they're going to steal the deal or whatever, to start looking at it as a an opportunity for collaboration. How can you partner in a way? And instead of saying, this person's my rival, you could maybe say, this person is a future potential partner, mm -hmm. right? And it changes the mindset. And as you start like collaborating rather than competing, you start building rather than destroying. Because that, competition is kind of like inherently destructive. Mm -hmm. um, it assumes it's zero it's sum. Zero, yeah, yeah. It's, it assumes that it's a zero-sum game when it's not the case in a lot of these things. There's Yep. All the, all the games worth playing in life, in my estimation, are not zero-sum. Mm. So, Yeah, um, I like it. 
Next one I've got here is uh, your who's can expand your vision and have you looking at things through a new lens. Uh, there was a story. Yeah, especially if they're an ophthalmologist. They can get you some new lenses. <laughs> <and help. laughs> that uh, joke. <laughs> <laughs> there was a story in the book about, um, I think it was about a kid um, named Richie or something like that. I think I had. I just have watermelon story here written, but there's a story about a kid. I feel like it was rich. Watermelon story. Okay. Yeah. And it was this little kid and his dad um, gave him the idea. He wanted to make money over a summer and his dad gave him the idea of, Hey, why don't you go around to all these grocery stores and try to find all these misshapen oblong, ugly watermelons, see if they will just give them to you for free and then go around and sell them to everybody at a discount. And he did that and he was successful at it. And the point of that story, the takeaway for me was that, um, and I've seen this myself having, you know, getting away from that IMA mentality and, and be, becoming open to partnerships, bringing a partner in, especially when they've got different experiences and different skill sets is going to open up your world to new ideas and concepts that you never would have thought of looking at. And that can go both ways. So um, typically what will happen in a partnership or any kind of mutually beneficial re- relationship where you've got your good who along with you is that you you get something that's greater than the parts. So instead of one plus one equals two, you put two rock stars together and one plus one can equal four or eight. Here, 20 here, here's a real life example of this in real time. So as you're telling that story about the watermelon boy, um, I actually, if he had come to me and he's like, hey, I bought all of these oblong watermelons. For, I got them for free or I got them at a big discount. And now I'm going to sell my, my weirdo watermelons on the street. <laughs> Here's what I would have told him. And this would have expanded his vision. I would have said, hey, if you want to get 10 times more per watermelon, here's what you're going to need to do. Slice Cut it, it open, slice it up, and create little chunks and put them into little little containers. Whole and you're going to get like 15 containers years. out of one watermelon. And you're going to be able to sell each one of those containers for 3 or $4. Easy. Yeah. Now, suddenly, you've taken this one watermelon, which maybe you got for free or maybe you paid 5 bucks for. Now, you're going to make it 40 bucks. Easy. Right. And so that's expand the horizon, like expand the vision. It's Whole Foods business model right there. And I'm a sucker for it. I, see I, it. I do too. Like, be- do I want to cut that? No. Nope. I, d- I love right. watermelon. I will never cut my own watermelon. It's so messy. You can't, you couldn't pay me so enough money water. to do it. So if you, if a kid came up to me on the street with a cup full of watermelon, I would buy it. Don't be, okay. I would. Buy it. I would. But don't come up to me on the street with watermelon. That's weird. I'll come to you. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Uh, Want, want. Do you See what I did there? Okay, here's my number four. Yeah, there people. we go. How you spend your time increases your chances and ability to make money. And that seems really stupid simple, but I think the most poignant ideas often are. And so let me repeat this. How you spend your time increases your chances and ability to make money. This is the idea that your time is your money. How you exchange it matters. And far too often when we start by asking, how can I do this? We're presuming that, yes, you could do this, but we're forgetting, like, what's the opportunity cost? What's the highest value of your time? Is it learning the skills necessary to go do this thing, to get this airplane off the ground? Or would your time be better served finding that who, who's already acquired that skill, that mastery, can can build the plane way faster and better than you while you go and continue to focus on the things that you're uniquely suited at? So... For instance, instead of me just sitting down and doing spreadsheets all day, I'm out there cutting up watermelons, making bank. Because look at me, guys. I'm I'm good with a watermelon. That's your highest and best use. That's my highest and best use is scooping (laughs) watermelon. 
Uh, yeah, no, I'm going to just uh, throw this one in next because it's almost the same thing, and I'm going to keep it brief for that reason. But um, delegating the tasks that are not the highest and best use of your time is incredibly powerful. Um, and so, you know, my takeaway, this was a takeaway for me because it's just an ongoing struggle for anybody who owns a business or is self-employed. If you've come to realize that you need to start delegating, you know how, how tough it can be to actually take the time to audit all the things you're doing and delegate those things out um, that aren't the highest and best use of your time. And what I found really helpful was um, a tidbit I pulled from Naval, uh, where he suggests you apply an aspirational hourly rate to yourself. That's something that's a little bit of a stretch or a lot of bit of a stretch. And you say, okay, I'm worth X amount of dollars per hour. And anything less than that needs to get outsourced. That gives you a, a very um, uh, black and white uh, metric to use to determine, should I be doing this or not? Can I outsource it for less than my rate? Uh, if you can, then yes, according to Naval. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So, 100%. Yeah. 100%. If you, I was, it's funny. I was just at lunch earlier with, um, with my friend Ryan, who um, he's built a very successful business. And he's talking about how he still, he has a really hard time paying other people to do a task that he know he could do himself. For instance, he needs to cut down a tree in his yard. So he had a quote. Guy came out, said $2,000. My buddy Ryan, he's like, mm, I'm just going to go buy a, I'm going to go rent a boom lift, get my chainsaw out, and I'm going to go cut it down myself. And he's like, I know it's not the highest and best use of my time. Is I that did, a whole weekend? It's a whole weekend. Jeez. He's like, I know it's not the best use of my time, but I can't bring myself. He's like, I don't know. And then he's like, I've tried all sorts of ways to justify it, to like look at the spreadsheet, see the numbers. He's like, I just, I struggle when it comes to these things that I know I could do myself. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, a, but then he also justifies, he's like, this will be a good learning experience for my kids, teach them hard work and yeah, yeah. all these things so that he can derive some benefits out of it. Yeah. That's the other thing I think is worth, that's worth noting with that concept. I think that's a really useful tool to look at things in your aspira aspirational hourly rate and look at the cost of outsourcing it. Um, but that goes out the window um, every so often, which it should, when you factor in how much you enjoy something. Yes. Or So, you know, don't try to apply this to time with your family or kids or things that you get a lot of joy or happiness out of. <laughs> you can't outsource being a dad. No. I mean, <laughs> people try. Uh, I've seen it. But you don't want to, right? So don't try to use the math on that kind of stuff. Use it on, you know, lawn care, assuming you don't enjoy it. Maybe he does. He he. He's I don't enjoy it. So he, I, he likes what he calls dirt therapy. So it's okay. okay. It's a thing. All right. So. so here's my last one. And I love this. I think this is my favorite concept. <laughs> if you have enough money to solve a problem, you don't have a problem. I like that. You should get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> it's so simple. And on and like, here's the thing. If you guys have read Passive Investing Made Simple, and I think chapter two or three, I talk about financial freedom and what that means to... It, you know, just generally it, everybody has a different definition. And I share a story in there about my cat who got sick and we had to like pay a ton of money at the time. Well, it was a lot of money for us. To, so he wouldn't die. And I remember doing like the mental math and uh, wrestling with, do I let him die or do I spend this uncomfortable amount of money? And it was, it was very, very difficult for me. And th that might sound stupid to you, but if you've ever had to like weigh the cost of a loved one's life, then you understand like this is not an easy, easy calculation. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. And so that's what financial freedom is for me. But that's also like at the core of this concept. If you have enough money to solve a problem, you don't have a problem. If I, if I had so much money that I could have just thrown it at that problem, it never would have crossed my mind as an issue. And so if you have enough money to go out there and hire, to bring in a who to do the task for you, you don't have a problem. You just, 
you need to you need to come to terms with spending that money. Yeah, which is a different topic. <laughs> Um, my last one is, uh, if you are procrastinating, that is a red flag that you are probably up against a who problem. Um, let me specify if you have, uh, identified some sort of goal or aspiration or, or thing you're trying to accomplish and you're not jumping into it head first with gusto, if you find yourself, um, dragging your feet on taking action, that's probably an indication that you have a who problem. It's probably because you don't see a clear path between you and wherever you're trying to get to. And because you don't see that clear path, it seems like this big insurmountable issue that needs to be solved and you don't even know where to start. So you just don't start. Um, we've found, uh, we found ourselves in a situation, not where we were procrastinating necessarily, but where we started to go down a road and realized that we didn't even know which direction we should be looking. Um, so we're in the process of putting together a board of directors or actually more of a board of advisors and Anthony and I were both kind of out of our element here because I've never been on a board. I don't, have you ever? I don't think you've ever been on board, have you? Not really. Yeah. Not what I would call a board. Yeah, not. We don't have nearly enough experience to know exactly how to execute this, and so we asked ourselves, okay, who do we know who's got experience? Keyword there, who uh, that we can hang for uh, some information and try to put together some context here and. Turns out our marketing uh, specialist, Reed, had somebody in his family who had a heck of a lot of experience. <laughs> She's basically a professional board member. Yeah. And within, uh, you know, 20 minutes of being on a phone call with her, we got so much clarity on exactly where to go, what to look at, and, and how to proceed for the next at least couple steps. And all of a sudden, you know, we get excited. We're like, okay, we know exactly what to read. We exact, know exactly where to look. And then, you know, at some point, we'll probably go back and figure out what the next couple steps are. But for a while there, we were really just kind of dragging our feet because we didn't really know what the heck to do until we had that conversation with the right who. And then all of a sudden it was like, perfect. Thank you so much. So again, um, Reed took up, I don't want to use names. Thank you for your time. It was very valuable. You are who in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, it was easy peasy, water, lemony, squeezy. That doesn't sound good at all. Water, lemonade? I want water, regular lemonade, water, not water down. I don't watermelonade. Anywho, <laughs> let's get out of here. That's that's that's, uh, that's the book Who Not How by Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. It's it was good. Um, maybe not worth your time to go pick up the book. Probably more worth your time to just go pick up the sophisticated investor notes, read our takeaways, and that'll pretty much surmise the book. Honestly, those um, are free, right? So yeah, he, the the book goes into more stories and anecdotes. So if you need that, then go pick up the book. Otherwise, you, you got it. You got everything you need here. You're we welcome. Did You're welcome. Yeah, we, um, what did we say? We diluted it and then we distilled it. <laughs> yep. All right. So that's going to do it for us, guys. We appreciate you taking some time to join us. We'll see you in the next episode. Before you before you leave, though, be, be sure that you go and leave a review and you sign up and subscribe and hit like and uh, hit a bell and, um, you know, go shout out from the rooftops that you that you love multifamily investing made simple. Um, hit all the buttons. Hit, do everything. So <laughs> once you've done that, then you can proceed to the next episode. We'll see you there. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.